Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Just as we're on the verge of passing financial reforms in the United States, our European partners have committed to the process we went through in the United States. A new level of transparency and a stress test for banks to rebuild confidence. That was U.S. President Barack Obama talking in the closing moments of the G20 held at the weekend in Toronto about stress testing. We'll be taking stock later in the show about where we are post-G20, and we'll be looking further at some of the stress testing issues we covered in last week's podcast. But for now, welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. I'm joined in the studio this week for the first time by Patrick Jenkins, the Financial Times Banking Editor. It's been a week of extraordinary change across the industry, from the passage of the U.S. financial reform bill at the 11th hour last week to new capital and liquidity pledges at the G20 summit. Here in London, pressure is mounting for wider stress testing of Europe's beleaguered banking sector amid growing fears of a looming sovereign debt crisis. But first, why don't we kick things off with the G20? Patrick, what should we take out of this weekend's meeting? Yeah, well, much was made of the idea of a crackdown. But in reality, there was no surprises at the weekend, I don't think. All of these proposals which had been put together on liquidity and on on capital in particular had been drafted by the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. They hadn't been made public until the weekend. Well, they still haven't been made public, but they they were put before the G20. But they were in line with what we were expecting. And I think, you know, they were not as tough as originally had been envisaged. I think that's an inescapable truth. And I think that's something that's rather been glossed over by certainly by the politicians' presentations. You had a great scoop last week about sort of specifics on how the proposals have been watered down. Can you just walk through where we're at now in terms of where sort of the original platform was and where it's moved to? Okay, so there are three key platforms, really, that were being addressed by the Basel Committee on, on, the, on this area. Firstly, on capital, there's a very complex series of proposals, but basically the idea is to beef up capital standards and to harmonise those right across the membership of of the Basel Committee. Secondly, to improve liquidity, which is the standard of of liquid financing the bank must hold in order to prepare itself for potential crisis. And then thirdly, the issue of leverage, how leveraged a bank balance sheet could be. The story you mentioned that we had last week referred particularly to liquidity standards. One of the proposals on the table was that the net stable funding ratio to make sure that banks didn't have too much of a mismatch between their assets and liabilities. That has now been basically dropped in its current form. It was very contentious for the banks. They felt that it was it would stop them making money, essentially. From what we hear, I mean, you and I have had a series of meetings recently. I mean, do we think that the proposals are going to be tweaked further. People don't seem too much up in arms about the regime we're looking at now. There seems to be a sense that it's getting weaker as it goes along. I mean, is that what you're picking up as well? Yeah, I think the banks are are really not worried particularly at all about what's coming down the track. They realise it's going to be phased in over a very long period, between five and ten years. And also individual nations that had been screaming about particular parts of the proposals that they thought would victimise their banks, particularly 
French banks over certain rules on minority shareholdings and the capital treatment of those, particularly Japanese banks about deferred tax assets, for example. The fact that they've screamed loud and hard about those has meant that seemingly the regulatory powers that be have have listened and have basically said we're going to draft a level playing field up to a certain level and beyond that it's going to be down to national regulators to sort things out. So if you're a cynic, you'd say, or or certainly a a pessimist on this, you'd say they're copping out, they're, they're going for the lowest common denominator and this is actually going to leave a very uneven playing field globally. So perhaps not so much of a crackdown as a as a shakedown. Mm-hmm. But um, but let's move to something that really could lead to significant reform, uh, particularly on Wall Street, on, uh, is the U.S. financial reform bill. Well, we've all seen what happens when there is inadequate oversight and insufficient transparency on Wall Street. The reforms making their way through Congress will hold Wall Street accountable so we can help prevent another financial crisis like the one that we're still recovering from. We'll put in place the toughest consumer financial protections in our history while creating an independent agency to enforce them. That was Obama again talking about the U.S. financial reform bill, which was concluded in terms of its final form at the 11th hour, I think is safe to say, after marathon sessions last week in the U.S., Lots of controversy over this, lots of different reporting all over the spectrum as to actually what impact this will have on the banks. I've seen a lot of commentary this morning saying banks have dodged a bullet. I've seen some commentary saying for some banks in particular, perhaps Goldman Sachs, perhaps Morgan Stanley, i.e. the biggest investment banking players in terms of pure play investment banks, that this is really going to radically reshape the way they do their business. I have my own thoughts, but I'd be keen to hear what Patrick's thoughts are first in terms of lasting impact. Yeah, I think, again, banks are probably breathing a sigh of relief over the measures that were made it into the final version of the bill. As you say, I think Goldman probably the most affected, though I suspect, you know, firstly in terms of proprietary trading or trading on their own account. When this was all first proposed a few months ago, everyone said, well, you know, that's going to be an easy thing to get around anyway, because banks will just hide where they do business. They won't call it proprietary trading. It won't be a specific desk. Do you think that's actually what's going to happen? That seems to me the way things yeah. are likely to go. I mean, taking it a step back, prop trading, banks trading for their own account. And when you think of sort of traditional proprietary trading, that's in most investment banks, that's actually a separate desk separated from the rest of trading desks where banks have no knowledge of other trading positions going on and where they literally are trading their own money based on their own bets on a variety of different positions. The problem with the so-called vocal rule, which is, as you discussed when this first came up, about completely hiving off prop desks, about prohibiting banks from investing in internal hedge funds and private equity funds, that this activity would simply migrate elsewhere. And, And I agree, I think, with prop in particular, it's just going to take a different form elsewhere. Banks have also succeeded in getting through a lot of restrictions on those limits, although that sounds like a sort of weird way to say it. But in other words, they're going to be allowed to hedge their positions in prop. In other words, if a bank is taking a big long position in a certain market, they will be able to hedge those. You know, even if you talk to Goldman, they would say, which has long been thought of as sort of the biggest pure prop bank out there in terms of how much of their profits come from proprietary trading. They've consistently said that 10%, um, whether or not you agree with that number or not, 10% of their profits come from pure prop. And 
Maybe this will knock. I've seen estimates, you know, 3%, 4%. You know, I saw an analyst note this morning that said, at worst, the proposals would knock 20 cents a share off Goldman's, you know, earnings. And if you look that they made over $22 a share, a share, you know, last quarter, that's not not a huge amount. And that's probably not even factoring in, you know, restructuring things so that they are done differently. I think it's been interesting, I think, in terms of some of the other areas are perhaps even more interesting. Consumer protection uh, will have more wide-ranging effects. But in terms of radically reshaping the Wall Street landscape, I think there's no question riskier activities will be curbed somewhat. um, But it doesn't seem to me, at least, and I haven't waded through, I confess, all 2,200 pages of the final form of the bill, uh, to me, this doesn't seem like it's going to be a radical reshaping of the industry yeah, right now. Tinkering around the edges. Tinkering right? around the edges, yeah. which, and we'll wait to see what plays out. I mean, I think that in some respects, the U.S. Congress has picked up on this already. You see uh, several congressmen coming forward today saying, well, you know, we reserve the right to make it even tougher than it is. Uh, we reserve the right to sort of after this, and they are going to take these in-depth market studies of certain markets um, and look at, you know, particular concentration of banking and, and, and different areas. And if they see different problems and they say they will address them. But I think it's going to be hard to galvanize as much political opinion and sentiment as, they, as they've had now in terms of, of making things worse. So, you know, right now there's no question there will be a bit of an earnings hit, but I don't see it changing things, yeah, I think changing right. things radically for now. And finally today, we have the issue of European stress testing, which we talked about last week, which has been constantly in the news. And I think it's probably right to refresh the audience about sort of where we are with this. And the reason why this exercise is going on is just that there remains deep concern over European banking exposure to the sovereign debt, sort of a looming sovereign debt crisis to their exposure to loans in Spain, Portugal, Greece, Italy, Ireland. Now, Patrick, you were over in Spain last week. I know that. And I just wanted to see what you took from that in terms of stress testing, because this has been a big issue for Spain in particular and the smaller savings banks. It has, absolutely. Now, Spain is has always been, or at least for the, over the past few weeks, has been adamant that they want to publish the stress tests of all of their banks. So from the, the big guys, Santander, BBVA, right down to the smallest cajas or the savings banks. Um, this is despite the fact that a lot of the cajas are in financial trouble and everybody knows that. The Bank of Spain feels that they have a recapitalization program sufficiently in place that um, the market, the confidence of the market in the Spanish banking sector would not be dealt a blow by bad outcome of any of the stress testing. And I think they're probably right. It makes sense for them to be as transparent as possible. Now, there's been, obviously, as, as we've been reporting, quite a lot of infighting within the Eurozone over European-wide publication of stress tests, particularly the suggestion that German banks might not be happy about having the, the total sector results published, Landes banks in particular, the, the German um, state-owned wholesale banking institutions are in a particularly weak state, we know. So it, it's, it's, it's an ongoing row, but as uh, we reported this morning, it seems that the, the things are moving on somewhat. Maybe you want to... How, I mean, this is the issue, I think, of how credible is this? I mean, when I speak to senior bankers, and I'm sure when you speak to senior bankers, they say there's two problems here. One is that if the tests are conducted under national parameters, i.e., Cajas are being tested under what Spanish national regulators have set as appropriate stress testing parameters. And in particular in Germany, if those parameters are done by German authorities, 
that there's no level playing field here and that basically the results can be tweaked to tailor the various different parameters put in, put in place so that there's not a level of confidence in the parameters themselves and there's still not enough transparency on that. And this and the second issue is, is this going to lead to any difference? Does it really matter? You know, we'll see the results. The UK, Adair Turner, chairman of the FSA, said last week that he was confident that all UK banks would pass the test. So is this a credible exercise in and of itself, you know, or are we just going to have a thing where they say that every bank has passed except for you know, a few outlying sectors? The, the US exercise that happened last year was the kind of model for the way to bolster market confidence. You have to be totally transparent, uh, both about the results and the parameters. And you, you just have to, you know, suffer the consequences if there are any recapitalizations that need to be done, then they, they just have to be proceeded with. So, I mean, obviously, the European situation is far more complicated. You've got national regulators, you've got different situations in place in each starting points, if you like, in, in each market. So it would be meaningless to have a, a European-wide parameter that said, well, what if unemployment goes to 15%? What would, you, what would we do then, given that Spanish unemployment is already at 20%? So um, you do need to have those national differences. But I suppose the process being administered by national regulators is the really confidence-sapping point for critics of this whole exercise. What you need, arguably, is a far more powerful organisation rather than the so-called SEBS body, the, the supervisory body that collates the data from the national regulators. Until that happens, I don't see you know, a full-blown recovery in European sentiment. How far do we sentiment. think we are away from that in terms of that body being set up or sentiment being galvanized behind that? I think a very long way. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon at all. Well, that was a, a great session, Patrick. Thanks for joining us. We'll be on the lookout for anything that happens with stress testing this week, of course, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more emerging on the U.S. financial reform bill as well. But for then, all that's left to thank is Patrick for joining us and thank you for listening. And Banking Weekly is produced as it is every week by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.